research uh, suggests that the average person hears between 20,000 and 30,000 words in a given day, just in one day. That is a ton of communication that people hear daily. With all of this communication, all of these words that are entering our brain, uh, how do we sort out what's actually important and what's not? How do we sort out what we really need to put back in there and be happy about and, or, and, and think about and, and be concerned about and what we should just kind of let go? And even more pressing, how do we discern what is even true? You know, a lot of what we hear isn't even true. Uh, today we're going to see four groups of people who hear the exact same truth. Uh, and, and that truth is the truth that sets man free from the curse of sin and death. Uh, that truth is that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. That, that truth is namely the truth, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, uh, who, who rose from the dead three days later and is now at the right hand of the Father. The, the truth that one must repent or turn away from one's sins and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Yeah, for, for three out of the four groups we see today, they're not going to respond the correct way to the actual truth. Uh, what they hear isn't what they believe. And that is why our, our sermon is entitled, Hearing Isn't Necessarily Believing, right? So let's go ahead and jump into our scripture. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8. I'm just going to read the actual parable section, and then we're going to get go a little further into it. So starting in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering, and, a people, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your word. God, may you clear our minds of all the things of this world, things that we can be concerned about, think about, all these things that we're worried about. Help us to cast them all off right now and give us a sharp focus on your word and who you are, for you are worthy of all praise and glory and honor. And may you examine our hearts and may you help us to, to spread your word even more effectively as we learn more and more about the soil types here and about this parable that you teach us, Lord. May it be your word and not mine that is said today. We love you, praise you, and thank you, Father. Amen. All right, today's sermon is going to be a little different in organization than typical. Uh, if, if you've been here for a while, you've heard me preach a lot. We're usually a three-pointer. Uh, you know, that, that's kind of that Baptistic way. And today, we're going to also like to go verse by verse, and we're going to go through all the verses today. But the way this one works, we're going to kind of jump around a little bit because we have a parable. We have what parables are and why Jesus speaks in parables. And then we actually have an explanation of the parable that we have here. So our first point today is Christ confirms his word to those who are true believers. Christ confirms his word to those who are true believers. I'm going to read verse 4 again. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable. 
So uh, we, we've seen great crowds gather around Jesus throughout this book so far, uh, multiple times. And, and now we're seeing, again, people from all these different towns are coming to hear Jesus speak, to watch him perform miracles, to hear the word that he preaches. Matthew and Mark, in their parallel accounts, give us a little more information about the setting. He's actually on a boat right off the shore as he is preaching and teaching this message. And we'll get into the parable itself in a moment, but it's, it's important for us to notice something really uh, kind of subtly taught in this section. Uh, we actually see why Jesus speaks in parables. So let's, uh, and it's how he confirms his word in those who are true believers. So we're going to read the second half of verse 8, so 8b through 10. And he said these things, or as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. And when the disciples asked him what, the, what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So he who has ears, let him hear. This is a metaphor for those who are being drawn by God and also those uh, who have submit, submitted themselves to the word of God that is spoken. Uh, as the title of the sermon asserts, hearing isn't necessarily Believing A lot of people hear the gospel message, but don't necessarily believe the gospel message. And the disciples at this point actually seem just about as clueless about what Jesus has just said as the crowd. We read the parable to start off with. Uh, they're, they're, they actually ask him point blank, what does this even mean, Jesus? And so in verse 10, he lets them know that the secrets of the kingdom are for his people only. And so others will, will hear, but they, they won't really understand. They'll, they'll see, but they won't truly see. And that's a quote from Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. Uh, Matthew and uh, Mark, actually, especially Matthew in chapter 13, verses 14 to 15, gives a more complete uh, uh, parallel account, like the citation of this, but Luke hits the high points there as well. So what Jesus is saying is that the things of God are spiritually discerned, right? So, and we've talked about this before in 1 Corinthians two fourteen. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So this is a huge turning point in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus has been speaking to everyone, teaching everyone, giving everyone an opportunity. But how many people have kind of stonewalled him and said, no, I don't want to hear that. And now this is the point where those who are his and who submit to him will hear and understand. The Spirit of God will illuminate the scriptures, or illuminate the parables that he preaches that he teaches to them, but those who are not, they won't get it. They won't understand. And this is how the Word of God even is today. Those who are believers understand the Word of God. Now, do they understand everything in the Word of God? No, you know, we, we have to grow over time. The Holy Spirit illuminates the Scriptures to us gradually as he sanctifies us and work, work through the Scriptures. But those who are not believers won't understand the Scriptures. And that's why we have false teachers and preachers out there that can memorize the Scriptures, can even teach in seminaries, and know the Word up here, but not actually truly understand it and know how to handle it rightly. So this is an important understanding, and this is a tough question. Do you know the words of the Bible, but not, do not know the Word made flesh? namely Jesus Christ. And that's a difficult question because some of us may have grown up in the church, may have grown up in Sunday school and going to church and may know the words of the Bible. We may be able to say some of the parables. We may be able to say some of the, the, the accounts of Noah's, you know, Noah's flood and, and Genesis with creation. We may know the words of the Bible, but do we know the word who became flesh and dwelt among us? We know the word, namely Jesus Christ. And I pray that you do know Jesus as your 
personal Savior, but if you don't, the words that, that I'm going to be preaching, the words I'm going to be saying as we read the Scriptures, you won't completely understand until you submit yourself to the Lord, until you give yourself wholly to Him, and He is the Lord of your life. So we, as we get into the parable today, Jesus is going to give us some strong teaching on what salvation truly looks like in the lives of believers. So he teaches us in, in point two, Christ cultivates his word in those who are true believers. Christ cultivates his word in those who are true believers. And I know we have some, some farmers here. We have some people at least that grow things over here. And, and, and so you have to cultivate the land. You don't just go out there and throw some seed down without it being cultivated. Now, we can't cultivate as Christians. Uh, you know, we, we really, it's, it's only something that God does in the hearts of individuals. God's the one that has to, has to cultivate the soil and, and make it good. All we can do is spread the seed, and we'll see that in a moment. But, but to cultivate means to loosen or dig around soil, around a growing plant, as well as improving or preparing land in order that crops may go well or grow well. Uh, so in the rest of our sermon today, we're going to see the difference between false converts and true believers. Uh, we'll see three examples of hearts that refuse to submit to and follow Jesus Christ. And then we'll come to one final example where there's a heart that Christ cultivates and grows his word and gospel in, which produces abundant fruit. So before getting into the four types of soil we're going to get into, we'll get into the seed and the sower, as we see in verse 5a and 11. So verse 5, 8, 8, 5a, uh, a sower went out to sow his seed. In verse 11, Jesus explains this. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Uh, so we're introduced to a sower who goes out to sow his seed. And that sower is Jesus Christ at this point, but is all believers who go out and sow the seed afterwards. So all of us who share the gospel, who follow the Great Commission, and go and spread the word of God to others. So we are the sowers, my friends. We should continue sowing the seed. We should continue preaching the gospel to our lost neighbors, our lost friends, those in, and even to our lost children. We should be sowing the seed of the gospel continually. And then Jesus goes on to explain in verse 11 that the seed that we are sowing is the word of God. And we use the word of God, that phrase, to mean the Bible, and that is rightly so. But the word of God also can mean the gospel. So we, we see in Acts 8, 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That means the gospel. And we see this in Mark 2, 2, and he was preaching the word to them, the gospel. So now that we understand that the sower is anyone who shares the gospel, which should be all of us. Uh, and we understand that, that the seed seeds the gospel, and the seed is the message of the gospel. Now we're going to get into the four soils. And so the, the hearing it will happen across the board, different people. But we're going to see four different soils that that seed, that gospel message, falls upon. The first place the, ski, the, seed, is, the seed is scattered upon is the seed along the path, or the hard soil. Let me read uh, Luke 8. Verse 5, the second half. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And now here is him explaining that in verse 12. The ones along the path are the ones who have heard, right, heard the gospel, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So th this first seed was scattered by the sower. Now, learn here that we sow the seed everywhere. You know, we don't just sow the seed on people that we think are going to come to a saving knowledge of Christ, because here's the thing, we don't see their hearts. There are some people that you think are hard as the path. 
that you're throwing it on concrete out there. Like, it's like, what is the point? The birds are going to get this. This is not going to... And every once in a while, God's been working so much underground that, man, it, it's actually ready to take it. Uh, there's like an oasis in the middle of the concrete, and that seed actually germinates and grows. So we don't know. So we're to spread the seed. We're to share the gospel with all those around us as the Holy Spirit leads and directs us. So these people were, were so hardened. If you look at, well, let's look at path. So if you walk along the path, we obviously have concrete paths most of the time today. But let's say you go to, uh, to a park, and there's a, a hard path. And, and you walk on that soil, and there's been dogs, there's been animals that have walked along that soil, and people, and it is hard as a rock. Uh, if you put a seed on there, there's no way it would germinate. First off, the birds of the air would probably get it. And second off, it couldn't break the ground. It's just too hard. And that is what we're talking about here. It's just almost impossible to penetrate this dense soil. And Jesus says that this seed is trampled underfoot, and even the birds of the air go on and take it, meaning the devil. Uh, they do not believe and thus are not saved, and they have sin-hardened hearts. Their, their, their sin-hardened heart is so hard that they refuse to submit to the, the word of the Lord. They, re, they, re, they refuse to submit to the gospel. And let's just be clear, these aren't false converts. These are people who refuse to respond at all. There's not even a, oh yeah, yeah, we're, we're in. No, it is completely stonewalled. They are of their father, the devil, as we see in John 8:44. Now, these people can be known as non-responders to the gospel. They, they are spiritually dead and have no response. Um, you can go to the next slide there after that. So non-responders was the word there. And as an ER doctor, sometimes people come in like this to my ER. Uh, sometimes they come without any real possibility of medical help to save their lives. There, there's, there's no electrical activity in their heart. Uh, they're, they're asystole in their spiritual condition. And in the same way, apart from a, a miraculous work in these people's hearts, there will be no gospel that takes root. They are spiritually flatlined on their heart monitor. Uh, next, we come to the next soil. This is the seed on the rocky soil. Again, the seed being the gospel, as we've talked about before. It fell among the, 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 the hard, really hard soil. Now we're in some rocky soil, so we're changing it up a little bit. As Jesus teaches this parable. So let's read verse 6. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And this is rocky soil we kind of see in Matthew and Mark. Uh, Luke eight thirteen says this, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. Well, if we stop there, it's like, oh, that sounds really good, doesn't it? They receive it with joy. We've, we've seen people receive the word with joy. Oh, that sounds great. But then what's this? But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. So the sower moves on in our parable here and spreads some seed, not among the path or the hard soil. Now we're in the rocky soil, and this, the seed looks like it's going to grow. It's like, oh, wow, here it sprouts up. But what happens? It withers away because there's no moisture. Jesus goes on in verse 13 to say there was no root in the gospel. It wasn't a true rooted plant. And when the time of testing comes, they quickly fall away showing they were never saved to begin with. Uh, this is our first group of false converts. We talked about the last one. They weren't false converts. They were non-converts. They were non-responders. But now we got our first group of false converts, people who come down the aisle, people who maybe say, oh, yeah, I want to be a Christian. Oh, yeah. But now all of a sudden, when the, when the trials and affliction come, it doesn't last long. They, they seem joyous initially, and they go all, they, they're ready to go all in. But as soon as the rubber meets the road, they quickly desert the faith. 
These are people with no deep-seated convictions. They have no true commitment to Christ. They're people who give a head nod to the gospel, but their heart is far from Jesus. As we see Jesus teach on this in Matthew 15, 8, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He does not want He doesn't want your lip service. He wants your heart. Uh, And there's no better illustration to this, and y'all might laugh at me a little bit, but my yard, my yard is a very good illustration if anybody's been to our home. Um, If you look really closely, we actually have no grass, like real grass. There's, There's no real grass. So actually, I talked to the guy that excavated our neighborhood, and he said actually where our house is sitting, there was 30 feet of of mountain that that they actually, like 20-some years ago, excavated and threw it over the hill. So um, our house is literally built on the rock, which is a good thing for your home and your foundation. I have no idea actually how they poured our foundation. Um, But it's not good for your grass. So we we brought some topsoil in, and we've tried to plant grass. I've tried to plant it, and you know what? It starts to sprout, and I have all this joy. I'm like, yes, I got grass coming. This is great. I got grass growing. Isn't this wonderful? And then the sun (laughs) starts to beat and zaps all the moisture. And when you only have this much dirt. It doesn't hold a whole lot of moisture. And what happens? It turns brown. And you know, like I tried liming the yard. I put fertilizer. I put more grass seed than birds could even eat. They, I fed them a lot. I have fed, fed the birds a ton. And so, you know, and I get so excited and, and all I do when I put the, the fertilizer and the weed killer on, all I do is kill what is there. You know, I, all my crabgrass, it dies. And, and then I have nothing but dirt at that point. And so I've just kind of had to know that I don't have any hope of really having real grass in my yard. But isn't it interesting to see how clover and dandelions and crabgrass grow great in rocky soil? I mean, it grows amazingly. You can, you'll see a dandelion grow in our parking lot. I mean, it is amazing. You just put, pour a little bit of dirt in the middle of our parking lot, I guarantee you'll get a weed. It will grow. I mean, we get weeds around here. It's amazing how that works, but true grass, real grass, doesn't. Doesn't like that. And, and so, in the same way, false teaching it can take root in the shallowest and the worst places in the world. The shallowest of soil, false teaching, man, it'll take, take root. And man, it's like those hard weeds you get out there and you gotta, ooh, you gotta pull with all your strength. Those roots, man, they figure out a way to wrap all over. They entangle the rock. They'll entangle everything out here. I mean, they get false teaching really quick to get in there. The true teaching of the Word of God, it needs good soil in order to grow. And so the faith of true believers isn't crushed by trials, isn't crushed by the hot sun like my grass is when it withers and fades. Actually, true believers in James 1, 2 through 4, we see this, count it it all joy. So we talked about joy in response to the gospel, but we're talking about joy in response to trials. So count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's perseverance. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you, might, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. As we see here, the trials of this life should actually push us into the arms of Christ, not away from him. So when trials hit and one falls away, it shows that one was never his to begin with. Those who are truly his run into the arms of Jesus. I was reading a devotional book by Voice of the Martyrs called When Faith is Forbidden. I would highly suggest you all getting it. Um, just amazing accounts of persecuted believers across the world. And, and Todd Nettleton wrote it, and he, he talks about an interview that he went to do in China. Um, and I think her name was Sister Tong, but, but it was a Chinese lady who had allowed a church to meet in her home. 
and this was an illegal church. And by illegal church, it means they weren't registered with the government. If you know anything about China, it's a communist nation, and they don't like Christians. They don't like churches. So they make churches register with the government if they're going to open up. And yet what, what happens when you register is they tell you where you can meet, how often you can meet, when you can meet, and who can preach, who can teach. So obviously they're not going to have somebody that's a solid Bible preacher or teacher. They're going to have somebody that tells you that, that President Z is God. Right? That, that's what they're going to try to push. And so this church, being an underground church, was unregistered, was an illegal church because they didn't feed the communist manifesto that they wanted them to do. And so this lady gets arrested because she was allowing this church to meet in her home. And she's an elderly lady, and they put her in prison. Obviously, that's a, not a great place for an elderly lady to be, to around a bunch of inmates. So Todd is interviewing her, and he's expecting to hear some really bad stories. You know, when you go over to talk to a persecuted Christian like this that's been in prison for for many, many months, and they're, they've just gotten out. He's expecting to hear how deplorable the conditions were, everything like that, and he says, okay, there's an interpreter there, and he says, well, how was it in prison? And her answer was, it was wonderful. He's like, what? And Todd's like, okay, she, th- there's, a mi- there's a mistranslation here. We got this translator. Maybe his English isn't that good. Maybe his Mandarin Chinese isn't that good. So there's a problem, and he's like, Hey, man, did, did, did you really understand my question? How was prison? What was it like? And upon some further discussion between the two, the, the, the translator looks and says, yeah, that's what she said. It was wonderful. And she's smiling when she says it. And Todd's like, what? when expounding upon this answer, she, she tells him that she's never felt so close to Christ in her entire life than when she was in prison. She's never felt his presence more real than when she was in prison. She was even able to share the gospel and watch other people come to Christ while she was locked up. She doesn't talk about the deplorable conditions or the meager rations that she got. She talks about how wonderful it was to be so close to Christ in the middle of those trials and afflictions. Wow. Just like we saw in James, it should, uh, trials and afflictions should drive us further into the arms of Christ. That is quite a convicting account, isn't it? I pray that our adversity and our trials drives us further to Christ Jesus as well. I pray that we are true believers and have a deep-seated, deep roots into the Word of God and to hit the Word made flesh, and that we can withstand the trials and tribulations that are inevitably going to come our way, as John 16, 33 says. Next, we come to our third soil type, the seed among the thorns, uh, or the crowded soil is maybe a good term. We'll see where in Wearsby give to this. Verse 7, And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And, and then verse 14, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So next we come to our most difficult to discern of the soil types. This is the hardest of this. Obviously, we saw the first two with the rocky soil and the path, clearly unbelievers, no real argument among theologians about that. But then in verse 7, we see the seed starts to grow, but it's choked by the thorns. And in verse 14, we see that this group is being choked by the cares of the world. The riches and the pleasure of this life can keep the fruit from maturing. There is no fruit in this plant. With, we see money as being one of these in 1 Timothy 6.10 that leads many to reject God. How many of us choose money over 
the, the Lord, over reading His Word, over being a part of the church, over serving Him in whatever way we make decisions that value money over obedience to God. How many of us value pleasure over the obedience to God? We watch things we shouldn't watch. We go places we shouldn't go. We see things we shouldn't see. And the Greek word for choked here is apopanigo, which means to choke or to drown or to suffocate. In other words, it means to die, is what this word means in this, uh, this uh, area. This is not a stunted growth. This is not a believer who just doesn't mature. This is a dead plant. This is a plant that is choked by the cares of this world, the pleasures of this world. It's a plant that never bears any fruit. It may have lasted a little longer than the rocky soil, but it still did not grow because of the pleasures of this earth. Uh, whereas the rocky soil, the, the pressure of tribulations kept the plant from growing and killed it, now we see the pleasure of this life, which is maybe more of an American issue that we see today. It's clear that these are not true believers, my friends. Unfortunately, I've heard many preachers describe this group as carnal Christians, which in my opinion is an oxymoron. It's been some of the worst messages I've ever heard. I've heard it preached even to college students saying, hey, you can live like the world, you can look like the world, you can spend your money like the world, you can do everything, but if you had an altar call experience when you were a kid, you're fine. That's a lie from hell. I'm just going to be honest. That is a complete lie. The scriptures do not say that. The scriptures don't say you give God a head nod and you're good to go. You got your fire insurance. And this has been used, frankly, to send people to hell. People have pastors have spoken, preachers have spoken out of turn and not accordance with the scriptures and have mishandled the word of God, some of which tried maybe. They didn't want to be false teachers, but they were with this and they've given people approval of living their lifestyle the way they're living it without submitting to the Lord fully. Uh, we see actually that if we are believers, we should be fighting against sin. Now, do we sin? Absolutely. Don't hear perfectionism here. Don't hear that we're not going to struggle. Don't hear that you're not going to blow it, that you're not going to absolutely. If anyone also says that you can become perfect on this side of eternity, that's a heresy, and that is a false teaching, and there are some denominations that do preach that wrongly. But we should be continuing to repent and be disciplined by the Lord. First, First John 3, 9 says this super tough scripture. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now again, this is a practice of sinning, habitual sin that is unrepentant. If you are a believer, you, you can't live there. Now, are you going to go there? Yes, because our flesh. Until it is dead, until we are glorified uh, with Christ, we will sin. Absolutely. But those who are his will be disciplined by the Father. He won't let you stay there. He will make you miserable. I tell people who get saved, I'm like, hey, well, here's the problem. You will never be able to enjoy sin again. You know, you might enjoy it for like a minute, but you know, afterwards you're going to feel like garbage. You're going to feel conviction. The Holy Spirit is going to drop the hammer on you, and you're going to fall to your knees. And if you don't, it's because you're not saved. I mean, like that, God disciplines those he loves. He chastises those he loves. We see in Hebrews 12, 7 through 11. He continues to sanctify us and make us more like Jesus. If, My friends, if you're somebody and you look, oh, okay, I, ran, I went down the altar when I was eight or nine, and you look at your life now, and you are no further closer to God, you look no more like Jesus than you did when you were eight or nine, that's a good sign you didn't really get saved. And I would say evaluate your heart. Are, what, 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 what soil are you as we get to this? Ask God to save your soul. 
And we're told here this seed does not produce any fruit. There's no fruit that comes from this. And let's, let's take an important look at this other scripture that Jesus teaches in John uh, about what happens to those who do not bear fruit. Uh, this is a very difficult scripture, but John 15, Jesus says this in verse 2 and verse 6. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. There's discipline. Prunes. You ever been pruned? Hurts. It hurts a lot. What, what God's not okay with you being good. He wants you to be perfect. And obviously we're not going to be perfect on this side of eternity, but he it wants to fashion you in the image of Christ. So even though you've grown in some areas, man, I, I know there's sometimes where I'll do something and I'm like, man, I wouldn't have felt bad about that at all 10 years ago. But just a thought, something that's just a little bit prideful or this, man, I just, man, I feel like somebody just stabs me. It's like, ah, oh, okay, God, yep, I get it. That's not good. You know, those quote-unquote little sins that you kind of overlooked before as you grow in sanctification, as you get closer to the Lord, he starts to just press in on those things and continue to prune you. Praise God for his pruning, even though it hurts. Sometimes it's a two-by-four. We've talked about that before, back in my head, because I can be stubborn. But if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Here we see that, that some take a little longer to bear more fruit. They bear a little bit, and they need to be pruned more, and they bear some further, and, and they eventually begin to grow more fruit. But in, in the last half of verse 2 and verse 6, he mentions those who bear no fruit those who are not true believers. And what happens to them? They're thrown into the fire, which stands for what? Hell. Uh, those who are not true believers are thrown into hell. True believers abide in Christ. They find their strength and their nourishment in Him. They love Him. They seek to please Him. Sadly, we've allowed the quote-unquote carnal Christian to become the regular in our churches. And there's a reason why the Bible says narrow is the way to God. Wide is the path of destruction. Sadly, many are going through the wide gate not knowing and thinking they're going to the narrow gate because many quote-unquote seeker-sensitive pastors have tried to make it easy. Oh yeah, just do this or do that and you'll be fine. Just say this one thing and you'll be fine. So much more. We have to count the cost. We have to give, our, give him our entire life. It's easy because he did all the work for us, but it is hard because you have to die to yourself and take up your cross and follow after him. His will, not your will, any longer. I mean, actually, if we even look, John had people that were legit and played the part. We start thinking about these people that are even among our churches, uh, that, that, that it looked like, hey, this is a legit believer. This is it. And, and, oh, okay. And then all of a sudden, you start to see what happened. Like, they're not, they haven't went to church for 30 years. They haven't shared the gospel with anybody. Uh, they don't read the Bible. They, you know, they, they, don't, they don't think about God ever. And you're like, well, what? What happened? Weren't they of us? Weren't they really a Christian? They said they were when they were 10. They said they were when they were 16. They said they were when they were 21. But for the last 40 years, there's been nothing. Last 20 years, the last 10 years, even the last five years, there's been absolutely no fruit. What? They just live like everybody else. They do what everybody else does. And here's what, and this, even John had people like that, people that he thought were legit. Maybe they were even in positions in the church. Maybe they were even given authority. And John says this, they went out from us. That means they, they were sent out. Or maybe there were some missionaries that were sent out. Hey, go, go, go share the gospel here. But it says, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not 
of us. We live in this, man, I can't judge anyone. I can't say whether they're saved or they're not saved. I, here's the thing. We don't know somebody's heart. I get that. But we can see fruit or not fruit. And we need to be bold with our family, with our friends, with our loved ones to ask hard questions. I'm not saying you say, hey, I think you're going to hell. Like, that's probably not the way to start the conversation. But just say, what do you think about this scripture? You know, how does this affect you? Do you, do you read the Bible much? Do, do you pray to the Lord? Have you been involved in a body of believers of the church? Do you, do you give to the Lord of your time, your talents, your treasures? What's the most important thing in your life right now? Is it money? Is it your job? Is it maybe even your spouse or a family member? Because that's a problem. That's called idolatry. Nothing can be above God. We see the true believers persevere. They, they would have continued in the faith if they were true believers, but since they were not, they did not. And some people understand this group as a, a group that, like, well, I don't want to judge other people. And so maybe they were saved, and now they fell away, and they're not saved. They've lost their salvation. Many denominations will preach that, that they've backslid and lost their salvation. Yet Scripture is clear that this does not happen that those who are true believers will never be plucked out of the Father's hand. I actually, in your handout, I gave you a ton of scriptures that actually teach this particular thing, that true saints do persevere. I'm going to read four of them, but there's plenty more you can read. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Philippians 1, 6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work, and you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He finishes what he starts Romans eleven twenty nine for the gifts and calling of God are what? Irrevocable. And 1 Corinthians 1, 8, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We could go through these for a long time. I've talked about it before. But it is clear that those who are truly believers persevere until the end. They don't fall away. Yeah, they struggle. Yeah, there's times of, of, of difficulty, maybe even doubt. But he disciplines those he loves. And he continues to bring them back. He leaves the 99 and he chases you down and he brings you back. Sadly, the soil we described today, this, so, this crowded soil, as Warren Wearsby calls it, has the same outcome as the second. Whereas the trials of this life uh, prevented fruit and growth of the seed in the rocky soil, the pleasures of this world have crowded the soil so that one has not truly repented and weeded out, allowed the Lord to weed out their life of all of the idols that so choke them and entangle them. There's no fruit produced in either plant, and so they are thrown into the fire, as we saw in John 15, 6. They are not true and abiding branches in Christ. And finally, we see number four, the seed in the good soil, verse 8, the first half, and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And verse 15, and for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Lastly, we're finally given some good news. It's kind of been a, a very tough sermon, right? I mean, everything's been bad. We had soil that the birds took, which is Satan's stealing, that, that the hard-hearted, asystole, non-responders, uh, you know, we, we've seen the, the rocky soil where it's like, oh, here it comes, there's joy, and then it just withers away. And then we saw maybe even the, the most difficult and heart-wrenching is the one where the cares of this world choke it and kill the plant and no fruit ever develops. Uh, those that are so close, they, 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 they looked legit, and they weren't. 
They're even deceived, probably, in their own hearts, thinking that they truly are saved. And I pray that's nobody here, because a lot of times those are people that are in church, or at least close to church, or people that claim Christianity and talk about Jesus, or say these things. But when you really look at your own heart, and you start to see, eh, am I really his, or am I, am I allowing this world to choke me. I haven't really given my life to Christ. I, I've given my head to him. I believe the right things, but he doesn't have my life. I, he's not the Lord of my life. But we see that those who are true believers, they produce fruit. Uh, Luke says 100-fold. Matthew in his parallel account actually lets us know that some produce 100-fold, some 60, and some 30-fold. Uh, some believers may produce more fruit than others, but every believer produces some fruit. Jesus goes on in, in verse 15 to talk about those who have heard the word, held it fast with an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience are the ones that are truly saved. It's already mentioned in John 15, 5. Uh, Jesus taught that those who abide in him will bear good fruit. The, the last word here in verse 15, I, I'm not a huge fan of the ESV King James Version or a new King James Version of this particular word. Uh, I like those, like those translations normally, but the Greek word is, is huponmone, uh, and they translate it patience. And it's not an incorrect translation of this word. It can be patience, and in context, that is actually what it should be. Uh, but I think the NASB is actually right on this, that this actually means steadfastness or perseverance. Uh, and, and it goes right, it, it actually talks about the perseverance of the saints. Uh, those who are truly good soil, they, they persevere until the end, and they produce fruit along the way. So brothers and sisters, we've had a, this has been a, a whirlwind of teaching. We've talked about a lot of different stuff that's really, really difficult. And there's so much more than meets the eye. You read this in passing, you're like, wow, I didn't realize there was that much to dig into in this. And we've seen these, these four soils. We've seen the hard and packed soil among the path, uh, the rocky soil, the crowded soil, and now the good soil. And I pray as we come to a close, I pray that you evaluate yourself on the question that's on the screen right now. Um, you can go back there. It says, which soil are you? Which soil are you? Wh which of these soils most looks like your life? Uh, uh, which one of these are you? When the Word of God, we've all heard the Word of God today. We talked about the gospel. Actually, I started this message off intentionally with the gospel, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, that he rose three days later, that he's now at the right hand of the Father, and that by believing in him and him alone, you can have eternal life by repenting of your sins and placing your trust in him. H have you done that? A and when you did do that, was it just a temporary joy and then uh, eh, just back to the melancholy ways of your life? Uh, or, or when you look back, can you see a gradual growth and sanctification? Yes, it's like the stock market, like we've talked about before. It's up and down, good days, bad days, good weeks, bad weeks, sometimes even good months, bad months. But when you look at today and, and you look back at yesterday when you did put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there should be a sanctification process. You should not be who you, who you were then. You should be someone different. God should continue to be moving you in the right direction. And I want to let you know, this is not a workspace message. This is not a try harder, be better, just, you know. I'll, no, this is a submission message. Because here's the thing, you can't. You can't do it on your own. You can't be better. Uh, lots of people out there are reading books, self-help books, that tell them how to be better and how to do this. And guess what? They're just as bad as they were before. It may be a quick reformation. They may look good for a week or so, but guess what? They fall away. They, they, they fall away every time. They can't do it because we can't be good because we're not good. No one is good, not even one. But he who began a good work in us, if we are in him, will complete it, right? He'll bring it to completion. He'll continue to sanctify us and make us more like him.
So I pray that if you need to fully give your life to Christ today in repentance, if you're like, man, I think I'm being choked by the pleasures of this world. I think I'm that third soil. I think I'm not all in. You know, I, I, I believe all the right stuff. I get it. And I, other people see me and they say, oh, it's a plant. Yeah, it's a plant. It's, you know. But the thorns, they've encompassed me and I'm not, I'm not who I should be. I don't bear fruit for Christ. I, I don't really love him. I love myself more. I love what I love more than I love Jesus. I just ask you that you would humble yourself and repent and ask Christ to truly save your soul to remove your sin from you. Ask him to cultivate the soil of your heart and grow his word in it. Our God is faithful to save. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this is a difficult message. It is a tough message for us. It's a tough message for those around us. God, I pray first and foremost that we don't think of others first. We think of ourselves first. Uh, that we evaluate and test, test ourselves, test our own hearts and our spirit. God, I pray that, that we are truly believers, that as we hear your word, as we've, as we've heard it, I pray that if you are drawing us to yourself right now and, and you're examining us and you're letting us know, hey, this is, this is you. You may give me lip service. You may even come to church some. You may do this, but you know what? You haven't given me your heart. You don't love me more than whatever it is. I pray that today be that day of salvation for you. With all heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, everyone just thinking about themselves right now. Examine your heart. Which soil type are you? Are you ready to say, I want to be the good soil? I, I want to go all in. I, I, I may have been playing the game. I may have done this, and my family probably thinks I'm a Christian, but I know right now that I'm not. Uh, would you raise your hand with me? If that's somebody here that you're like, you know what, I need, I need to go all in. want you to just pray about that, and, and as, as you continue to pray about that, as you listen to the Word, as you read the Word, if God reveals that to you, I'd love to talk to you more about what that means to be truly a believer. If you have others in your life, now that you've examined yourself, and you have others in your life that you know uh, they may fit one of these soil types, you don't know for sure, and obviously we don't want to come guns a-blazing, but be, be bold enough to ask them those questions. Do you love Jesus more than anything else? Do you read his word? Do you, do you pray to him? Are you a part of a body of believers in the church? And if those answers are no, ask harder questions and get to the heart of the matter. Are you truly saved? Because we should love Jesus more than anything else. There is no such thing as a carnal Christian. There are only true believers and false converts. Which are they? And which are you? God, we love you, praise you, and thank you. Help us to be your hands and feet and your light to a dark and lost world. Amen.